Ladies and gentlemen, welcome or welcome back to the JKWD podcast where, you know, we've already released one in, in 2021, but this is the first one we've recorded in 2021. It's a new year or something, you know, just a flip of the calendar. Kelvin, how you doing today? I'm doing fine, sir. Doing fine. Sitting here. Loving life. Happy and healthy. Not buried under snow. Life is Life is good. Good, good. Yeah, it's funny seeing you sitting there in a another living room. I never knew what uh what room I'm getting when I uh when I dial in the somehow you always I'm, manage to have the microphone and the chair in the same place. I'm I'm visually mobile. <laughs> <laughs> really, there's just a big old uh, room here, so the chair stays here, but the room rotates around so I can have a different view. <laughs> <clears throat> New technology. I'll, I'll buy. I'll, I'll I'll buy something else later. How's <laughs> <laughs> how's uh, things going with you? Good, good. The year on this, on this first Saturday in 2021, or I guess it's Friday today. Forget that. Yeah, today's the second Friday of uh, 2021. Well, New Year's the... Day. I mean, that doesn't really count because uh-huh. I mean that's New Year's Day. This is like yeah. a week later when it's like really in the year. See. That first day okay. was just a party. You know, they call it the first. They partied it, and and then we had fun. Okay. <laughs> Me, I went to bed early New Year's Eve. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't wait up. <laughs> I didn't wait up to make sure we were going to make it into the new year. There you go. There you go. <laughs> You'd hate some you rest. Wake up, wake up the next morning and go, crap, it's still 2020? How'd that happen? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, but things are, things are good. I, yeah. Uh, I don't have any as as I as I tend to say, there's nothing wrong in my life that's not my fault, right? There you go. It's right now. So there you go. You Good know, stuff. we um well, you know, the first first week of the year was uh was fairly eventful, even even outside of even outside of US politics. You know, we had a couple of UFOs crash in Hawaii, supposedly, and Oh, um, I didn't see that. There's a in they think they saw a new craft under a hangar in uh, Area 51. Um, oh. So it's uh, starting off to be oh, there's a, stuff. There's stuff I'm not I'm not catching up with. That's I, yeah. The Area 51 thing. This uh, this might be the year the this might be the year the aliens uh, make themselves known. We'll see. Well, if they were watching what else was happening in this week, they'd probably think it's time <laughs> time to intervene. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's been a week. We're brought to you today by Vitamin K Daily, philosophical supplements for your attitude, health. I almost made it. <laughs> almost made it. Good. <laughs> Wake up every day, Monday through Friday. Get your daily dose of positive from the Prince of Positive himself, Kevin P. Wrinkled Senior. Start your day off with a box full of awesome. Get four weeks free now by going to vitaminkdaily.com. Sign yourself up. After that, just twenty four ninety five a year. If it turns out it's not for you, just cancel any time during your four week trial, and you will not be charged. Correct. One red cent. Vitaminkdaily.com. Hey, we have a we have a guest on the podcast today, and this was a, a really interesting conversation. His name's Matthew Ferry. He's author of Quiet Mind, Epic Life. Uh, he uh, 
grew up in wealthy circumstances and uh, thought that wealth would mean happiness. And he turns out, guess what? Nope. So, uh, so he set about trying to figure out how to build an epic life. And he found the quiet mind was the right way. And we talk a lot about a lot of stuff in this podcast. We do. Excellent. Wide ranging all over the place. Yep. Yeah. Even, even, even kept me quiet for a while. Cause I was just listening to what he had to say, and, you know, shutting me up as a chore. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I predict they will enjoy this podcast a lot. Yeah. So give it a listen. And, uh, as always, we have show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com, including everything that Matthew talks about, his app and um, the 30-day no opinion challenge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and um, uh, how to get his book as well. And uh, we will uh, play the music on the other side of that. You'll hear our conversation with Matthew Ferry. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Um, before we go too far into the story, let's um, just have you introduce yourself to our audience and your mission and let us w- know why that's your mission. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Matthew Ferry and I am a spiritual teacher, a songwriter, producer and author of best-selling book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. And my mission is very simply to assist people in getting their mind to go quiet so that they can live an epic life. And, and that's my mission because from an early age, I was plagued by the anxieties and, um, uh, negativity in my own mind. And very early on, I decided that I was going to figure this out and do something about it. And ultimately, uh, I created a, a, a process by which I could myself come to a state of peace and then taught other people to do it. And and my mission is just to expand that as far as I can. You said early on, uh, are we talking seven, eight years old or early uh, adulthood nine or years old, nine years old. Okay. Nine uh, years old. Yeah. I was, I was having these crazy moments. So I had asthma when I was a kid mm-hmm. and my mom, uh, used to make this and my parents divorced when I was eight and my mom used to make these sort of uh, little asthma tents. So I would sleep under the kitchen table and she would tent the whole table and uh, put a humidifier under there and a little light. And mm-hmm. I would read books before I went to bed and, you know, the hum of the humidifier and the dim light and reading would put me into these trance-like states. And I had these experiences where I felt like I was leaving my body, like I was floating up. I don't know if I was, but that was what I felt like. And the bliss and the peace was so profound, was so intense that when I would go back into my body, 
uh, I would literally break down and start crying. I, wa- I wanted to get back there. And, and that drove me. I mean, very early on in my life, I, I started to think to myself, like, how do I, how do I get back there? I used to, I would try drugs. I would try sex. I was, uh, I was in bands. So I was trying to be a rock star. I was trying to be adored. I mean, I looked, I looked for, then I went into business. I made all this money and I tried, tried everything possible to get back to that bliss and that peace. And it turns out there's nothing out there that makes it happen. It's all a contextual framework. And, and uh, that took me into my mid-30s before that really started to uh, gel for me, where I realized, oh, wow, it's all me. I don't need ayahuasca. I don't need meditation. I don't need any of the, uh, any of the things that my teachers told me that would work. Uh, in the end, they were just temporary. What you really needed was a was a sheet, a kitchen table, and a and a humidifier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Well, uh, yeah. In the end, what I what I really needed was a, a perspective that acknowledged that all is well, and that anything that that um, implied that all wasn't well was just an opinion. And it turned out that opinions are the source of all suffering. Yeah, the, the, I'll, we're I'll both. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think we're both uh, both in agreement there. We've uh, <laughs> been through some some courses that that include a uh, no opinion week, <laughs> an opinion oh, yes. purge. Yeah, and, and you know, listen, right now, um, opinions are the name of the game, and with social media. Uh, while social media is a phenomenal tool, it's still in its infancy and it has, um, brought out the worst of our survival state and, um, and pride, uh, pretending like, you know, giving your opinion on things that you don't have any, any idea about. You don't actually have any, um, uh, there's no merit in your opinion. Those kinds of things, while they are phenomenal for giving you just a momentary hit of of chemicals in your body, uh, the long-term effect, of course, creates stress and anxiety and conflict and strife. So I, I, I wrote a, a, uh, a blog post called Going on a 30-Day Opinion Diet. People should check mm-hmm. that out. Ours wasn't 30 days. We were just a week, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes, but we had to start over if we uh Oh yeah. Give an opinion. Yeah, so, yeah. so so sometimes the it won't was, be 30 days. If you are not a recognized world expert on the subject, you have no opinion on it. And if you are, you don't get to give it that week. <laughs> Which is not easy. No, it really is Those are survival strategies. So opinion, if you look back on the evolution of our species, like being able to develop a hypothesis Mm -hmm. and then play it out and share it with others actually has done tremendous good for our world. But we're in a world now where, you know, the vast majority of people living in the first world countries are going to die because of what they eat and because of stress, right? It's heart attack and cancer is going to kill almost everybody. 
And, uh, and you know, even if you try to kill yourself, you're probably going to have a whole bunch of other people intervene. Like even that's hard to do. Killing yourself is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, the opinions that we are giving are constantly about trying to save the world and make it better and prove that I'm right and show you that, that I, that I know what I'm doing so that you give me some kind of esteem so that I get favor so that I can then survive longer. We are in the middle of, we're recording this about nine months into uh, the 2020, now 2021 coronavirus quarantines. Um, yeah, I know all of us are in different places, so we've had various different experiences of you know, things being open and people going out, but we've never had in in my lifetime anyway, a time where there's more opportunity for quiet. You know, we're all just stay home. You know, most of our work is being done online. You know, we're having this conversation on Zoom, which even if we were in the same city, we probably would be doing anyway because that's what they tell us to do. And <laughs> um, yet it seems like there's never been more noise around. Uh how do you, how do we choose to uh, just ignore that noise um, and and throw those opinions out and and let some of the quiet come in and and head toward that epic life that you write about? I think it's a phenomenal question and and a quest that that many of us are actually on. We're on the quest for finding the peace and the joy and the flow in the middle of the chaos and the disasters and the um, sort of the wrecking ball that that has run through our society today. Uh, the It's going to start with one, acknowledging that your opinion is the source of your suffering and that the mind, which I call the drunk monkey, the drunk monkey in your head has an opinion on everything, including things it knows nothing about, and that that's a survival strategy. And if you can start to say to yourself, huh, my mind is not my friend. This drunk monkey in my head, it's not on my side. Mm-hmm. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't even like me. Who else calls you fat or stupid or that was dumb, right? Who else makes fun of you? Right? If people make fun of you. But typically they're not going to be your friends. And yet you listen to the drunk monkey in your head like it is your friend. So you step back and you say, oh, wow, the drunk monkey is a is a survival tool for human beings. And I'm going to play a game called listen to it like it's a biological mechanism rather than listen to it like it's me. Or listen to it like I'm talking to myself. You're not talking to yourself. You can't get the thing to shut up. <laughs> if you say, hey, I don't want to think for the next 15 minutes, your mind was like, that's great, but what about all these 94 things that I want to be thinking about? You discover that your mind, your mind doesn't care about you. It doesn't care what you want. And that is so profound. That makes such a huge difference mm-hmm. when you recognize your mind is not your friend that drunk monkey in your head doesn't care what you want that just that idea alone starts to open up this framework for you going into 
more peace with how things are. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the um, the framework uh, since we set off on that on that, yeah, on that path bet. there. Yeah, so the framework is something that I have called the rapid enlightenment process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a proven four-step process to get your mind to quiet down. So you stop getting so worried and stressed out. You can focus on the things um, that are important to you. You can take action on the on the items that matter. You're no longer paralyzed by the insanity. Mm-hmm. And there's four steps to it. So step one is what I just said. You want to be aware of the drunk monkey in your head. The drunk monkey actually has six modes that it operates in. I call them unconscious reflexes. And by naming the drunk monkey and naming its reflexes, it actually helps you to disassociate from it. So that's number one. Step two is something. And I would say that if we're, if we're being honest, that first step is would be essentially an aspect of mindfulness. Uh, so I want to nod to that. I think that that's really, really um, valuable mindfulness. But I did mindfulness. Uh, I went to Tibet. I meditated for for 17 straight days. I had uh, the the awakening. My mind went quiet. I came home and my mind went bananas again. And that was in 2006. And and it. It took years to understand how is it that I can be aware of my mind, but it still talks. It still bothers me. It still stresses me out. Mm -hmm. And it was an insight. And that insight is really step two. And the insight is that there are motives. The drunk monkey has a motive to talk, to judge, to mentally beat you up. And I call those the 10 hidden motives to survive. So it's greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, pride, resistance, and lazy. Those are phenomenal evolutionary advantages that we have developed as a species over time. But when you see that pride is running, suddenly you can choose something else. But if you don't see that pride is running, you just give your opinion, give your opinion, give your opinion, give your opinion, get all dressed up, look good, try to impress all the people who aren't looking at you. <laughs> Hatred. Go ahead. Oh, no, that just, I just, I just love that line right there. Try to impress all the people who weren't looking at you. That was good. That, that, that hit my, that hit my funny bone right there. <laughs> and, and that is that is one of the indicators of your mind going quiet you literally start laughing and and giggling about everything because mm-hmm. life itself begins to feel absurd so step 1 you got to you got to see the drunk monkey and it's six unconscious reflexes step 2 you start to discern that the drunk monkey has a motivation if you remove the drunk monkey's motivation then there's no need for it to talk so your mind talks when there is some implied threat, period. Now there is intuition and there is creativity and that, you know, you get these downloads when your mind goes quiet. It's like there's these, this profound state of resourcefulness and, uh, and insight, but that's very different than just the chatter, 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 chatter. Step three is to use something called enlightened perspectives and enlightened perspectives are real simple. They just assume that all is well. 
and I stumbled upon these sort of accidentally. I, uh, I was studying a man named Dr. David Hawkins who wrote a book called Power Versus Force. And he, he implemented a research um, study utilizing applied kinesiology muscle testing. Mm-hmm. And he was muscle testing statements, basically, and, and then um, applying them to a scale from one to a thousand. And in that process of learning muscle testing, which is, was a profound pain, by the way, uh, it took me 20 years to really get some mastery around it. I began to discern that statements that implied that all is well fundamentally strengthened the body and statements that implied that something was wrong or something needed to be fixed or something needs to change fundamentally weakened the body. So when you are, when you are reflecting on your life and you think I need to change that, you actually weaken yourself. And Mm. when you weaken yourself, you put yourself into a survival state. And when you put yourself into a survival state, the, here comes the drunk monkey. He's like, Oh, I need to fix it. Let me do something about that. So aligning with these enlightened perspectives is mind blowing. This is, this is why ultimately I coined the phrase rapid enlightenment because the prior to that, the possibility of a person going into an enlightened state, uh, appeared to be, you know, like if we're looking at the, uh, Buddhist or, or, um, Hindu traditions, then we would say, wow, it's like, you know, one in a million and it might take you lifetimes to get there. Uh, and, uh, I just thought to myself, you know, why and how, and I've always thought of myself as a spiritual hooligan. Uh, and I just, I, I have like a, um, a deep belief that all rules are lies and all, and I have, and, but I go about trying to figure out what those rules are by doing them a hundred percent. Like, all right, I'm going to follow this rule a hundred percent and see what happens. And just putting it to the test. And um, so many of the the traditional things that we've been taught, uh, I, I haven't been able to prove out of myself or the the thousands of people that I've coached. So enlightened perspectives, that's number three. And then number four is actually uh, a process called recontextualization. And that's very simply taking the input of your life and then recontextualize it. Uh, essentially it's the skill of shifting your context, your perspective and doing it in such a way that the way you describe it creates the implied all is well and strengthens you, empowers you. So recontextualization is just a skill that you use because mm-hmm. like uh, we were, we were saying uh, before we started the recording or maybe you started the recording back then. I don't know. Uh, that, you know, I was raised by a, a man who uh, was ex- exceptionally success driven. Uh, you know, I was raised in a way where, you know, we had the, the you know, we had the Mercedes, we had the, the um, you know, flew around in the private jet, you know, uh, we had the uh, later in life, the Rolls Royces and the, uh, you know, like I was in this. I was in the zone of like abundance and what came along with that were a, a tremendous amount of dogmatic ways of thinking, prideful ways of thinking that turned out to be very weakening mm-hmm. 
They weakened me and anybody actually who thinks about them in that way. Uh, and so practicing these recontextualization processes helped me to essentially, let's call it reframe things in a way that, that, um, created more peace and more flow, acknowledged that all is well. So those are, those are the four steps of the methodology I talk about in my book, quiet mind, epic life. By the way, I'm going to buy that. No, I'm going to send you one. Cancel. Yeah, you're going to send me your address at the end, and I'm going to send you guys one. Awesome. Thank you. I I have you know I've I've been spending a lot of time, um, well, I won't say a lot of time trying to do that, doing the mindfulness thing. Um, a couple of books I've read that that actually made a difference. Um, you know, talking about the the voice of the subconscious mind having its own mind, not necessarily having anything to do with what you want to do. And one of the in that process of listening, <clears throat> one of the comments was, um, as soon as you are able to observe the workings of your mind as you would the antics of a small child, you're getting a handle on it. Completely agree. So. Um, um, I mean, I've had times to, to the extent that I that I have practiced that. I mean, I've had times when I hear old, old what do you call him? Drunk, drunk monkey. monkey. I hear drunk monkey having a good time, and I just tell him to just shut up. <clears throat> sometimes that works, and then sometimes he gets sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> he is a sneaky so, little bastard. Yeah. For sure. So this is a, this is a, I mean, I'm like I'm I'm locked in on this. This is this is. This is right where well, Kelvin, I, I, uh, I pet my head a lot. Oh, drunk monkey. I, pet my head. <laughs> I know you're so scared. I relate to my, I relate to the, to the talking in my head more like a pet. Right. And, and I operate, you know, like you think about a little dog, right? Little dogs are just yipping and barking and, and, you know, constantly, uh, threatened, and uh, for decades, that that is what my mind was. Mm -hmm. Now my mind is mostly quiet now. I'd say you know ninety five percent of the time, I, I don't really have any thinking in my head that isn't something that I have like summoned or said. Okay, now I'm going to focus on this particular thing, and we're going to utilize the the mechanism to my advantage. Uh, but that took a long time to get there. And, and I really have worked diligently to shorten the process. I, I think I have an advantage over, um, most people who are in mm -hmm. my industry. And that advantage is, is that I've been accountable. I've been accountable for producing results. I've been working on wall street since, uh, 2003 prior to that, I was working in my family business, which was uh, real estate agent training. And so 1993, I started coaching people on the phone and my job was essentially to help them to get results. Now, back then I was teaching them business, mm -hmm. but slowly, but surely I started to realize, my God, the mind is really getting in the way here. I'm telling you what to do. Then you're not doing it. What is happening here? Uh, and of course it took my side project, which was me working on my own personal, uh, anxieties and fears and doubts and concerns and negativity. I was, that was, that's what I was working on personally in the background. And it started to move it to the foreground. 
and I started to to assist people in getting their their fears and their doubts and their concerns to quiet down mm-hmm. so that they could actually do the things that they knew would produce the results that they wanted. That was mm-hmm. my that was my training ground. And so ultimately everything that I do becomes systematic. So, and it, and it's not systematic, like hopefully it'll work. It's not conjecture. It's not, maybe it'll work. It's like, no, this is what works. And I get paid to make sure that it does. And I, I think that that, um, that sort of, uh, you know, accidental luck, uh, is going to make a big difference in the world as I continue to expand and get this methodology out there to people. Like mm-hmm. people are going to like pretty much anybody can take on this very simple system and get their mind to go quiet. And you know, I've, I've proven it over and over and over and over and over to myself. Mm-hmm. Next is the science that's going to be done inside of the um, center for rapid enlightenment, which is our 501 C three that we'll be launching in the next mm-hmm. couple of years. I was going to ask you about a little science. You know, the whole, all the stuff that's coming out on, you know, neuroscience and what the brain does and the amygdala and all this other stuff. How does that play into your, your knowledge, your teaching and your methodology? It's a great question. You know, uh, I'm going to speak to you. Um, using potentially scientific terms, but I, I request that you do not listen to me like I'm a scientist at all. I'm a practitioner, <laughs> right? Like I'm a guy, uh, I'm a guy who's accountable for getting results, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, and how I get results has not been scientifically documented or or demonstrated just yet. Uh, and I'm eager to do that. In fact, uh, I got a card sitting right here in front of me uh, uh, from a scientist that we have engaged who is going to conduct our first study. Awesome. Uh, but then the pandemic hit and, and, uh, you yeah, know, well, you delayed go. our efforts. <clears throat> so we're, we're engaged in that, but let's go back to this idea of the, the amygdala. Um, I don't know exactly how it plays in, but here's what I will tell you. Utilizing the applied kinesiology muscle testing. It's a, and it's very simple for our, for our listener. It's like this, you make a statement and then um, your buddy pushes down on your arm. So you put your arm out like this. Mm-hmm. You make a statement. Your buddy pushes down on your arm. Your arm either stays strong or you can't keep it up. The muscle fails and it goes weak. It's mm-hmm. so unbelievably si- simple. And we don't know what it means per se other than there are certain ideas that create weakness in the body and there are certain ideas that create strength in the body and one of the things that we have and when i say we i have about 40 students who are really into this that um, we all collaborate we've been we've been developing the methodology together essentially Mm -hmm. and what we've seen is is that sometimes the testing doesn't actually work And what we have discerned over time is that the testing doesn't work when somebody is in a threatened survival state. I I think that that's going to be the amygdala is somehow activated. And when it is activated, everything is strong. So if you're typically, if you're a guy, everything's strong. 
You're just like, I'm going to power through this and make sure that I don't get hurt. Right. And for (laughs) females generally, right. So it's not, I'm speaking in general terms here. Sometimes it's the opposite. Females generally, everything is weak. Everything is weak. Positive statements, negative statements, uplifting statements, you know, terrible. Everything's weak. Mm -hmm. And, and what we have seen is that that person then needs to step back, get themselves back into a peaceful all is well state and then when they are back in a state where they recognize it all is well then their testing works again and and we assume at this moment because we have not done any science on it we assume at this moment that that is related in some way to the activation or the deactivation of those stress hormones those survival uh, states that that get activated in the body uh, aka the amygdala what, what I found it's been a while since I tried to apply it. Kinesiology. Yeah, just, we'll just call it, we can call it muscle <clears throat> testing. No, it, we had that too. Um, uh, I, I like to I like to sound smart, you know. So the the applied kinesiology. Applied really kinesiology. What, that, what does that mean? Yeah. It's muscle testing. What I, I I tried that on myself. What you just told me was I can't do that to myself. You can. I, I you can, can but that takes because, way more practice. Yeah, because it it it's like oh well I know I'm supposed to be testing this so it's gonna stay where I put it so this is gonna be true so I kind of fake myself out and and uh, and, and null it. It take you a year, Calvin. It yeah. take you a year. I have a, a training that I do specifically on that because I I, I would like to have more people uh, in our tribe, um, basically putting everything to the test and calling BS on anything that we do. Like the the number one goal that I have is to prove that what I'm saying is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I like to surround myself with people who are committed to investigating and being curious and discovering. And mm-hmm. so I have a, I have a training called the muscle testing school, uh, that, that we, that we do that teaches people how to muscle test on themselves. But brother, man, does it take some, it takes some commitment and it probably take you, uh, a, a year or so to feel confident. Whereas like if you and I did testing together and I, I came over and, and, uh, was pushing on your arm mm-hmm. probably within about an hour or so, we could start to get some, um, consistency in our, in the readings that we were getting on your arm. Oh, wow. So it even takes to, takes a while to calibrate it. Yeah, like I have, I have an intention to uh, to muscle test on um, Oprah's arm and on mm-hmm. Joe Rogan's arm. Those are two people that Sweet. I would like to do some testing on and show them that there are statements that they're currently thinking that weaken them and mm-hmm. statements that they're currently thinking that strengthen them and show them that the statements that they're thinking that that strengthen them imply that all is well. I want I want them to understand and see on their own arm mm-hmm. uh these enlightened perspectives that said i'm probably gonna have to work with them for about an hour before i even do the interview Mm -hmm. to get their testing to 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 be working Hmm. that's what i say hmm things that make you go hmm that's that's pretty that's pretty cool Stay, yeah, you, well, you, you bring know, it, you bring him back stuff. I'm 20, I, I I'm 20 years into this process. You know what I mean? Excellent. It's like taking a long time. You look like you're like 19. So, you know, cut it out. Woo-hoo. Well, I like that. You know, I'm 53 years old. Uh, and you know, like I said, this, these, this journey to, um, be, um, at peace started when I was about nine 
And then my journey to be um, successful and live an epic life started when I when I began to work for the family business at mm-hmm. at 21. And you know, somewhere around 2003, they really started to converge. Where I I mm-hmm. saw, oh wow, you. If you have a quiet mind, for some people, some people are interested in that, a lot of people aren't. If you have a quiet mind, it's actually easier to do the tasks necessary to create an epic life. Mm -hmm. And if your mind is chatty, then it's actually way more difficult to to do the tasks necessary to live an epic life. And, you know, living an epic life is skill, system, discipline, procedure, process, um, you know, like, uh, it's b- being an effective communicator, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, go back to my lineage, my lineage. So my father was my mentor. My father's mentor was a man named Earl Nightingale mm-hmm. and Earl Nightingale's mentor was a man named Napoleon Hill. So like my lineage comes from that sort of success motivation background. And so putting these two things together, the, the, um, spirituality in a non-woo-woo fashion mm-hmm. with uh, the success principles. I, you know, I think that's just a. I think it's an interesting way to live. It, yeah, I mean, Josh, Josh, and I went through the the one program, the MKMMA uh, Master Key Mastermind Alliance, <clears throat> which uh, Ch- uh, Charles Hanel was the the thing for there, and we learned in that basically that. They do they they do go together, and the natural laws affect everything else. And if we don't if we ignore them or we don't know them, that they don't work for us. Uh, Josh, uh, and, and and I'm a I'm a I'm one of those and eh, not quite woo woo guys. Josh is very practical and stuff, so he and I balance each other off very well. Because if I'm out on a cloud, he'll like rain make it rain. He's got a lasso. He's pulling you back in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good for me that way. Or, or I'm just like, you know, hey, watch out for gravity. <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. while you're up there, just know that that's a, that, it's a possible it's a issue. Thing. That's why I'm down here. <laughs> and, and that's it. So that was that was good teaching. But um, And they brought us into a lot of stuff. But the stuff that you have here, I mean, this is like I, – I have to read this book now because it – I can't wait. I'll it send it to It speaks to all the stuff um, – because I'm a life well, coach also, and so it speaks sweet. to all the stuff I want to teach, and some of it, I know it. I know it to be true. You know, I'm thinking grow rich. I'm all those guys. Oh, yeah. But somewhere in there, there gets to be a little friction. I believe it. I do it. I teach it. It works for the people I teach it to. Yeah. And then... And, and, but it also works for the people that, that <clears throat> you and I teach it to because they're predisposed to it. And so, um, when my, when my mentors of the past, I think, um, you know, working for my father, uh, you know, basically I was being, um, like I was drinking from the fire hose and, and I think over about, uh, um, you know, about a 15 year period, I read or studied or mentored under, or went to, you know, workshops or consulted by, about 160 different teachers. And, and I thought of myself as like the crash test dummy of enlightenment. So I was like, I'm going to put this to the test and see if it actually works. Mm -hmm. And I, I I was, I was pretty shocked. I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a heartache 
to discover uh, how much of the personal development industry was actually meant to hook me or sell me or fascinate me, but didn't actually produce the result. It was more like a copywriter discovered, oh, wow, if I say it like this, then people will buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then the crazy thing is that then other teachers and coaches and, and authors like took that same information and they'd like brought it into their own method, um, never really putting it to the test. And uh, for me, it, it really was about like, if it works, then I get paid. And if it doesn't work, I don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people that I was working with, especially when I moved into Wall Street, their level of skepticism and discernment was was higher versus a real estate agent, right? A real estate agent is a much more open person, typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas on Wall Street, this is a, a much more... Um, uh, you know, university education based person. And here I was coming with these ideas that were not scientifically proven. Uh, and, and it, it had to work period mm-hmm. had to work because they were paying me a lot of money. So yeah. we've talked a lot about, um, quiet mind. Let's, uh, let's move to the other part there. Epic life. Um, how do you define epic life and for people who can't envision their own epic life but think it sounds good, uh, how do you set them on a path of, of finding theirs? I think that's a phenomenal question. Uh, I, I do a process. Uh, in fact, I, I would encourage our listener to go and download my my free app on um, uh, you know their Apple or their Google uh, operating system on their phone. And in there, there's a section of all my uh, webinars. So I do a webinar every month for my broader community, uh, as my sort of my gift and service to the community. And we just did a process called enlightened goal setting. And so that's in the app for them to go through. But, uh, you know, the high level of, of enlightened goal setting is this recognition that typical goal setting implies that something's wrong, something's broken, it needs to be fixed, it should be better, it could be better. Uh, And the moment you go into that framework, that idea, it should be better, it could be better, blah, 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 blah. The moment you go into that idea is the moment that you now activate a survival framework. And what I found uh, after being a guy who helped people to design their goals their objectives, their dreams, their business plans. I've been doing it since 1993 as a guy who's been doing it for a long time. What I found is that most people end up on what I call the, the treadmill from hell. They set some kind of goal the same way. I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to retire and I'm going to have better relationships. It's like the same, it's the same goal over and over and over and over. And they're just kind of inching along, never really having what I call the quantum leap. And the quantum leap actually begins to occur when you step back and you discern what is your, what is the criteria by which you, you think success would actually happen. And it turns out that the criteria has nothing to do with the results. The criteria has to do with the experience. So 
I utilize a series of, of questions that I learned uh, in my NLP days called criteria questions. And the, the question is just what's important about. So, uh, Josh, I, I would start by having them say, all right, 2021, what is your what's the most important thing that you want to achieve that that you think would create an epic life for you? And they would tell me what it is. And, uh, you know, I had a, um, I had a client, for example, uh, recently who wanted to create wellness retreats. What's, what's important about the wellness retreats? And she said, well, you know, it's made such a difference for me. And, you know, I really, I really got so much value out of, of finally taking care of myself that I want to share that with other people. Awesome. Then you keep going. What's important about that? And then oftentimes they say, what do you mean? And you say, well, what's important about helping other people see the value in your, in taking care of yourself? And then they say something like they'll go chunk up another level. Well, gosh, you know, um, I think that it's so valuable to recognize that if you feel good, that you can do better in your life. And I was like, okay, that's great. Now you go to the highest level. Ultimately, you have taught people that it feels good to, uh, to take care of yourself, that you'll do better because you've taken care of yourself. Ultimately, you took care of yourself. It felt great. You wanted to share it with the world. You've now created that. Ultimately, what does all of that do for you? And when you get to that question, most people come to some kind of value statement. I'll just be happy. I'll be inspired. I don't know. I'll just, I'll feel good. I'll feel peaceful. There's some kind of experiential term. Then the key is to look into your life and say, okay, well, where is that already happening? Because what you'll find is, is that there's not, you don't actually need to change anything. That the thing that you want is already here. And the thing that you want is an, is an internal experience. It's a contextual framework. And if you begin to apply your goal now, let's say your goal is to be at peace. If you say, all right, well, how do I be at peace with money? How do I be at peace with my relationship? How do I be at peace with my body? How do I be at peace with my family? If you just start to apply that now to all of the things that, that you would normally say, I want to change. Suddenly you have this incredible set of quantum leaps occur because you're relating to it. Like I'm going to produce the result that I really want rather than I'm going to change the world so that hopefully it changes how I feel. And when you come at your, your life from that perspective, there's a tremendous acceleration. And, and the reason being is you, you give up probably 70% of your goals, like 70% of your goals. You're like, that's BS. I'm, I'm why have I, why was I even going after that? And you hone in on the ones that are actually meaningful to you. So you, you're able to focus then because you have worked on quieting your mind, you're not resisting that you really suck at a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> and that because you suck at it, you could learn to not suck. And that learning to not suck is a long, arduous, hardcore process. And because you are in a state of non-resistance, you can go through that long, hardcore process and, and come out the other side being a, being effective in some new area. Mm -hmm. That was a little complex, but there you go.
Oh, well, I was I good think, with that. Yeah, yeah, me too. And <laughs> I was good with that. I'm, I'm, maybe this comes from our, our chatting in the Master Key program, but uh, you know, we were taught to identify uh, what what they called personal pivotal needs, and it, and what it really drills down to is what's important to you, and then and then if your goals aren't serving the things that are fundamentally important to you, what why are they your goals? Get rid of them, and and find new goals, right? So. Um, it, that makes perfect sense with the you know, with the drill down method that that you were talking about. Start with you know yeah. why is that your goal? If it turns out it's not important to you, maybe you got to find another goal. But if it is, let's really get you the skills to get there. And if you're really motivated to to do that because it's meaningful to you, then then you won't have any problem acquiring those skills. It'll just take the time that it takes to to acquire them. And then there's a whole set of practices that you do along the way where you you begin to discern that the drunk monkey takes your goal and says, when that goal happens, life will be better. Therefore, life sucks now. And mm. now you are experiencing some sort of fret Mm-hmm. Some anxiety, some frustration, upset. You begin to apply arbitrary um, standards and rules to yourself that mm-hmm. fundamentally turn you into a victim. And they turn you into a substandard human being, even though none of that is true and the whole thing is a figment of your imagination. But the drunk monkey's job is to, quote, motivate you provide you with a motive for action and the rapid enlightenment process is about transcending the drunk monkey transcending the thinking so that you enter into a place of inspiration which is essentially being filled with the spirit to do something and when you are filled with the spirit to do something you're unstoppable there's and and you fail 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 boom succeed right because that's what success is success is a series of well managed breakdowns and failures mm-hmm. so what's your um what's your view of what we call the law of attraction. Well, I am obviously I'm, uh, you know, third generation. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, uh, well, really fourth generation. We did hear a little bit of about it in, um, in thinking grow rich. Uh, but my father's mentor, Earl Nightingale, um, his best selling album, right? LP, mm-hmm. Uh, first best-selling spoken word album in history. Uh, you know, the, the, the punchline was you become what you think about. Right. Um, and then, uh, I was insatiable with Jerry and Esther Hicks, uh, back in the nineties when they first started to, um, I I still got a little bit of them. I I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I think that they're, they're, idea set is just, you know, phenomenal. As I, as I implemented the, the ideas of the law of attraction into my own life and really encouraged and and worked with my clients, like on hand to hand combat every single day, uh, day in and day out to have them apply the law of attraction in their own life. I began to have an insight and the insight 
is that we're all one thing expressing itself with infinite variety. And that the idea that I had an idea and now I'm going to, you know, pull it to me turns out to be an illusion that I am the idea expressing itself and that the idea is an iteration in consciousness and that consciousness is some sort of oscillation that is occurring. And that as that oscillation occurs, there is these, there are these anomalies, these, it, it spits, it's sort of like a, um, a fractal. And as the fractal, the information comes into the front of the equation and spits out the back, it goes right back into the front again and it iterates, 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 iterates. And what I've found is that if you begin to transcend the idea that you are the creator, but instead you are being created, your ability to, to invest your mental, emotional, spiritual energy into the ideas that are coming through is much more pure because it now it isn't necessarily about you and your capability. Mm -hmm. It is that I am, uh, I am an aspect of creation creating. And in that, which by the way, if you muscle test the law of attraction, mm -hmm. um, most of the aspects of it cause you to go weak which was very disheartening, by the way, when I first uh, stumbled across that, mm -hmm. extremely disheartening. <laughs> but then it had me start to say, well, then what would be a more strengthening way to think about it? Not because strong is better and weak is worse, but more like phys in physical structures, a strengthening structure functions and a weakened structure malfunctions. Mm -hmm. So how do I get to a a functioning state with this set of ideas. And ultimately it was surrendering to, I am the idea expressing itself. And the more I align myself with those ideas, the more empowered I become. It's a, it's just the next iteration, mm -hmm. right? So I'm standing on, on Jerry and Esther's shoulders. Uh, and with, you know, deep and profound respect for, for the methodology that they brought. And, and, um, if we're being honest, that methodology of the, of the, um, law of attraction has pulled millions of people out of apathy and, um, powerlessness and put them in squarely into a state of being responsible being yep. for themselves and, and, Absolutely. you know, like. I, I applaud that. Yes. Well, thank you for not making me rethink that one, buddy. I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> uh, really, seriously. Because um, it, it did a lot for me. Uh, me too. You, you know, um, sometimes when you, when you get somewhere and it's working for you and you change, you probably cover that in your book someplace. If it's working for you when you stop doing it, uh, you're short-circuiting yourself in that way. You, you've got something in quiet mind, epic life that explains that, right? 
help me understand what you mean, because I, I felt like there might have been two concepts that I understood there. So just clar- clarify it for me. Well, you know, you may be doing something and be being successful to all your definitions of being successful. And then for some reason, you change what you're doing and you, you either take a break and, and fall back from that. I mean, I know a lot of people, including myself, who have been doing phenomenally in an area or two and then. All of a sudden, we're not doing that anymore. Yes. So what 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 the success was before, even though we may have loved it, is no longer. We're doing something else that is just really not doing that. So how do yeah, you how do you? Uh, there's a couple things to to. Uh, so really, what we're talking about here. It, is the contextual framework? What's the context that I will hold mm-hmm. that that gives me power in the situation? And one context that is so important is that this too shall pass. That everything will be transcended. One hundred percent of all things. There was a time when I was meditating for four hours a day and I was experiencing so much ecstasy, so much bliss Mm -hmm. that I felt like I was um, riding a roller coaster and and doing the best drugs in the world and having sex and eating cake and ice cream. And it was just like, woo! and I just never wanted that to end. And then guess what? One day it just stopped. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of heartache as that transitioned but it was important for me to know that the next stage was not ecstasy but the next stage was unity and that unity had a a void quality to it a nothingness to it and so there was a a recognition there was a recognition that the only constant is change And that as much as I would like to be the same and implement the same things over and over and over and always get a result. I mean, let's be honest, you know, the three of us are men and all we have to do is look at our relationship with, with, uh, women, or if we're gay with our, with our partner and we might, we, we start to see like, oh, wow, like I found the one way to turn my partner on. Now I do that over and over and over, but eventually it stops turning my partner on. Well, guess what? It's the same thing for us. Like I found the one way to experience this successful result. I do it over and over and over, and then it runs out of juice. It stops working. And that's, that's just the nature. That's just the nature of the, you know, we are evolving. Consciousness is evolving. Humans are evolving and we're evolving rapidly right now. It's freaking a lot of people out, but um, <laughs> yeah, we are whole, evolving and, and destruction is the beginning of creation. So you cannot create anything without destroying something. Destruction and creation are the same thing. So when things start to fall apart, you want to start to get excited. When things stop working, you want to get excited because now something new is emerging and the emergence is through the rearranging. Creativity is taking what is there and rearranging it in a new way, which means I took what was there and I destroyed it and I made it into something new. Love it. Be in a state of acceptance, practice total and complete acceptance of yourself, of all situations and all people at all times. And as you do that, you don't put your head in the sand. You are at peace with that. Every human being innately thinks they're right about everything. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a phenomenal survival strategy. There's nothing to resist. What is that? What is that from Esther? The law of allowing. Oh, exactly right. The law of allowing. I am. I, I want you to know. I'm standing on the shoulders of my of my mentors in in so many ways, other than maybe the um, the hidden motives. I think the hidden motives is uh, to survive. The, that's something I've never seen in any other uh, training, literature, coaching, uh, mm-hmm. support. Uh, but other than that, I would say that I'm just a shortcut to the library of what works. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, I, yeah. I, so I, I know that we are coming up on time here. Uh, now, I want to get down to our, our dreaded question. Is there anything that you would hope to talk about today that uh, we haven't gotten to? I think you guys are nailing it. Um, you know, I think probably if we just go to like the most fundamental thing about a quiet mind, uh, I, I think that, that I would say it like this, that really a quiet mind is essentially a mind that's in the present moment. And it means that you're free from stress, worry, and concern. And that's a big deal because Mm -hmm. according to the American Institute of stress, 73% of Americans say they deal with psychological stress on a regular basis. And you and I, we, we all know like in 2020, when that, when those results come out, it's probably going to be like 95%, who knows, but it's definitely gone up and that's bad news because you make bad decisions when you're stressed. You don't see things clearly. You're not easy to be around. You're a pain. Your creativity is diminished. Your energy is zapped. And if you're going to achieve your goals and create what I like to call an epic life, well, then you want the best version of you to influence every aspect of your life. And the good news is you can learn to quiet your mind. And when you do, all of those debilitating effects begin to disappear. And you get that stressed out survival mode out of your system. And anybody can learn how to develop a quiet mind. Well, Matthew, awesome. thank you so much for being here. Um, where do you hang out most on the web? Where do you want people to find you? Uh, best place to find me is probably on my website, MatthewFerry.com, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-F-E-R-R-Y.com. Um, and you can also uh, download my app. So I'm, I'm sort of updating my blog on a pretty regular basis, and I'm updating um, the webinars that we do in my app, and then I have a bunch of free resources there for them. And the, the app name is just my name, Matthew Ferry. Great. Well, we'll awesome. have links up. to that stuff in the show notes. And uh, thank you again. I think this is a great hour well spent, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. Rock and roll. Let's do it. Take care, sir. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends, and we will see you next week. A Better Humanhood Production.